Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another Big Game Indicating Dogs Q&A. These Q&As are from the Big Game Indicating Dogs Inner Circle. And the Big Game Indicating Dogs Inner Circle is a closed Facebook group for people who are following the Deer Dog Training Blueprint. And the Deer Dog Training Blueprint is a 12-part, month-by-month, step-by-step video series with everything you need to train your own deer dog from start to finish. You can find out more about the Deer Dog Training Blueprint at biggameindicatingdogs.com and you can also find out more about Big Game Indicating Dogs and the Deer Dog Training Blueprint at Big Game Indicating Dogs on Facebook, Instagram and YouTube all under the usernames and channels and accounts Big Game Indicating Dogs. Right, let's get into this Q&A. So, Chris Wells Hi Paul, I have a two-year-old heading dog Cross who has trained on the blueprint since eight weeks. She's really a neat dog and is a pleasure to have around home, but out hunting she seems just too eager and distancing is no good at all. I've tried keeping her on the long line, but that becomes a hassle and I get fed up and I stop taking her hunting. What do you suggest to keep her close and attentive on my position rather than her smelling a deer and trying to get there as fast as possible. And there's a couple of other people that have said basically the same thing. They're in a similar situation. And then Tom Evans has put, you just need to make sure every step is solid before moving on to the next one. It's all in the blueprint. And uh, I would agree with Tom on this. Um... You know, just because you've trained your dog, or just because you because you brought the blueprint and you had your dog on the blueprint and doing some blueprint stuff at eight weeks old uh, doesn't necessarily mean that you've executed your training on the blueprint perfectly at two by two years old. Uh, you know, look, this is a, this is a bit of a well, the thing is, is with the blueprint, it's quite a it's quite a full on program. You know, there's quite a bit of training there, and, and, but all that's subjective too. You know, some people say how much training do you have to do, and, and you can actually do most of it in ten or fifteen minutes a day, four or five days a week with longer sessions on the weekend, which is arguably less time than you need to spend with your dog anyway. But if you don't do that 10 or 15 minutes four or five days a week and you don't do it properly too because you you know you have to execute it properly and then you've got to do the longer sessions on the weekends too but a, a, a huge huge thing that and this is a 50 50 deal you've you have to do the training that's in the blueprint you have to do it all properly and that's 50% of the deal, 50% of raising and training a dog that turns out to be pretty good. The other 50%, and this is really, really important, really important. And if you don't do this properly, your training's just not going to work. And this is all hammered home in the blueprint hard. Is that even if you are doing your 10 or 15 minutes three or four times a week or four or five times a week and you're doing your longer sessions too, but you're doing a whole bunch of other stuff that's giving your dog way too much freedom before it's ready for it 
it's spending too much time running around it might be coming inside spending loads of time with other people experiencing all the freedom one of the uh, principles of my training systems is exposing weakness you're just constantly exposing too much weakness you're giving the dog too much freedom and responsibility before it's ready for it the training's not going to work you know and you really can't go out and just do bits and pieces of it and then take your dog hunting and have it work out well it's just not going to work out well you know so that's the first big bit I'll cover off there is that you know and 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 I'm doing the, I'm saying this with all due respect to everybody here uh, including you Chris uh, me saying this can say well I don't think you've done your training properly you know um, and I, I don't know if I don't know if I'm saying that or not. I don't know if you've done your training properly or not. I wasn't. I haven't been there the whole time. But something's a little bit amiss here. If you had the blueprint since eight weeks old, your dog's now two years old, and you can't get a decent hunt happening with it, something's a little bit off, okay? In 99 almost 99.9% .9 of cases. There could be something different and the dog's got some weird personality, behavioural thing, but it's very, very rare. Uh, and also, I, you know, I've trained a lot of my own dogs. I've done a lot of boot camp dogs. I've had a lot of dogs come in to do deer dog training boot camps that were really full on and had a lot of bad habits and I only had them for six weeks and I had them in a position where I could hunt them at the end and here comes the other huge point here is I could always get them to the point where I could hunt them but on a long line and you saying where does it say here I try keeping her on the long line but that becomes a hassle and I get fed up and I stop taking her hunting so two things there either you haven't done enough work so the hunting on the long line is doable because if you just try to take it if you take a completely untrained dog or a dog that isn't trained well enough with the long light out in a nice open area and you haven't got a little bit of range and the dog's staying in front nicely and stop and go and everything needs to be pretty tidy to be able to put a long line and go hunting without too much hassles and, and yeah doesn't matter how good you get your dog occasionally throughout the day you go and have to bend down and put, yank the long line out of something or the dog might go around and around in circles around a little stick a couple of times and you've got to untangle that and keep going but so again two things you do it's not you can't just take any old dog and put a long line on it and go hunting and it's going to be fine if you if you do it with a dog that is isn't already very tidy on the long line and pretty damn well trained it's going to be an absolute mess and i've seen it i've seen dogs that you do not want to put a long line on that dog in the bush and let it drag it it's just not a good idea however if the dog is there it, you haven't done it hasn't had the things done the right things done enough with it to the a high enough level to get it ready to hunt tidy on a long line okay 
And so, let, so let's say you've done your work, you've got it ready to hunt on the long line, and it's pretty tidy, except it just wants to keep pushing its range and you have to overuse your commands a little bit. Then you need to be able to put the long line on it. And if you do have the odd hassle with the long line, you have to be, just deal with it, you know. Um, and, and you know, I did that big half-hour, 30-minute update to the end of part 12 of the Deer Dog Training Blueprint where I showed you print pushing his range a little bit, me putting the long line on him out in the bush and hunting with him on the long line. I do it with my own dog, so I'm not asking anyone to do anything that I don't do myself. I was out hunting with print the other day and I had someone else with me <clears throat> that can add a if you if you do all your training on your own and then you do a lot of hunting on your own and then you put someone behind you making more movement and noise and a little bit of a distraction and and uh, just a whole different element of the hunt that can change the way a dog acts and, and print was pushing his range a little bit he was fine I could have handled it but I thought this is just going to be easier if I just put the long line on here um, then I'm not worrying about overusing my commands. It's not a hassle. It's not a pain. I just put a long line on and let print drag that. And you're probably in about four hours of hunting, probably four or five times. You know, I think the long line picked up a bit of punga frond and I had to untangle that and um, chuck it away, you know, untangle it out of the long line, which took about six seconds and was very, very easy. And then prints off again. Uh... But that's print, you know, and he's already very, very good on the long line. He's very, very good off the long line. So the long line's really just there as a tool to put on and just fine-tune it, you know. So um, that's sort of a bit of a spiel on that topic. It's you really have to watch the blueprint properly. There's a lot in there. You have to wrap your head around it. You have to do it properly to a high level for a long time and be patient. And you have to, you're saying you get fed up so you just stop taking the dog. You have to absorb some of that sort of responsibility and that shit yourself, you know, and look at what's happening, look at what your dog's doing and go back and work out what you could have done differently. Um, there's no I've said it before there's no okay Chris click your fingers three times say your dog's name twice spin around a circle and bang your range is mint <laughs> there's nothing like that it's it's that whole training system and without trying to begin to explain 15 hours of training that's in the deer dog training blueprint here uh, it's, it's exactly what um Tom said, you just have to make sure every step is solid before moving on to the next one. It's all in the blueprint. And it's a really, it's a really straightforward way of saying it. Um, so two things, really. The really short answer to this question is make sure all your training super solid. And if it is, and the long line's annoying you, you might have to just sort of suck it up and keep working with it and tidy it up. And look, I have the odd moment where I put the long line on the... I have moments where it's still where I get a little bit frustrated with my dog. They're not doing everything perfectly and I put the long line on 
And when I first put the long line on, it gets tangled around a stick straight away. And I'm thinking, God damn it, this is pissing me off. You know, but then I know, I know, you have to, but then I untangle the long line, keep calm, tell print to walk forward, untangle it a couple more times, and within 10 minutes, 20 minutes, half an hour, an hour, everything's slow, with me doing my part right, everything slowly starts smoothing out, and half an hour later, print's used to it, and he's going nice, and then a few hours later, the long line's off, and then a, two hours after that, he's sneaking in on a deer, and we have like this awesome thing that takes me on a deer, and I shoot a deer, and, and now I'm sitting there going, oh my God, big game indicating dog, this best thing in the world, and I'm just over the moon, and it's just awesome, you know? You have these, it, it goes ups and downs, and ebbs and flows, and, and you will, it doesn't matter what you're doing, you have times where everything's just driving you around the bend, but you really do, man. You just have to suck it up and work it out and do the best you can and, and just keep going. You know, the training works. Uh, it really does. I hope that makes sense. And again, all due respect, I know sometimes when I'm, people ask me dog training questions, I'm talking about dog training, it, it comes across as me saying, you just didn't train it right. But um, I've just got to be honest with these answers, you know. Aiden, I'm getting a pup in a week's time. She's a wire hair pointer. I'll be starting her on the blueprint when I pick her up. I want to use her for birds as well as deer. What's the best way to tackle the training? Stick with the blueprint and then start with game birds later on. Or just incorporate game birds in scent training. I want to add to this question. I'm getting pup in two weeks. And then he's saying he's got this other retriever training stuff. Uh, what's the main issue with longer range and a whole bunch of other stuff? And then he's and then Peter said, uh, "No need to cover this one, Paul. Your YouTube clip below provided all the info I needed, and that is a video on YouTube, an old one called Versatile Dogs for Birds and Deer." How to Train a Deer Dog. That's on YouTube. Um, and But basically, without... And this is a... This gets super complicated. Once And, and then there's... It just... <laughs> it just gets so complicated because you go, Hey, I want to train a deer dog and a bird dog. How do I do it? And, I mean, Jesus, that, that how do I train a deer dog? That's the deer dog training blueprint, and it's 15 hours of footage, and it took us two years to make it. Um, it's 15 hours of video with hundreds of thousands of words and hours of demonstration, and <laughs> you know what I mean? And how to train a good bird dog is probably double that. It, it's, well, arguably... There's more commands. It's arguably more complicated because you have uh, sides and back, and um, th there's just more elements to it. Training a deer dog is actually relatively simple, but you need those simple elements trained to a very high level. You can't yell at the dog and whistle loud. It needs to be all pretty quiet and silent and super, super steady. But it's quite basic. Uh, a bird dog, you have a lot more freedom with 
with the way you can handle your dog, but there's a lot more moving parts. There's retreat, like I said, a lot more commands. And then you add those two together and it's like, holy shit, where do you even start? You know what I mean? And and that that's part of the uh, beauty of the blueprint and why I did it the way I did it because it's, okay, let's just get that one thing super solid and we can add to it later. I'm probably going to do a versatile gun dog blueprint at some stage and that is going to be another two or three years of work and just bigger than the blueprint um but for a short answer for right now and 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 it's a relatively good answer too we've had quite a few people do it is he says what's the best way to tackle it stick to the blueprint then start game birds later on and i would say yes yes and uh i've actually got a video on it um on big game indicating dogs if you go on there and scroll through it's and if even if you search retrieving um on big game indicating dogs on youtube i think it's on facebook too it's about an hour long video where i'm talking about uh training a, a it talks about range and then what my dogs are actually like once I've finished training and then once I'm actually hunting over them and once hunting solid and I know I can trust them and how now they can run around and go further away and I can let them have uh, extended range at different times and even how to train retrieves and all of that but long story short if you want it to be a really good deer dog get that solid first get all your nice and close range and dog nice and steady and all of that first and then uh even shoot a few deer over it is ideal so the dog knows how all of that works and it'll it will you'll have a better chance of it defaulting back to that after you do your retrieving work and then go do your retrieving work because retrieving's more the dog running out from you um and for a versatile dog that if, if i do do a versatile gun dog blueprint uh it won't i I won't couple a big game indicating dog with the style of bird dog that runs free flat out like 200 meters away and lock theoretically locks up on a bird 200 meters away and then you go over and flush the bird and shoot it it will be a more rough shooting style where uh the dog just stays within shotgun range and flushes birds in front of me and then when i shoot the bird it can go out and retrieve it um and in that video on youtube uh i talk about that and i talk about um how the dog can be running around within 20 meters and the dog can also go a lot further than 20 meters couple hundred meters to do retrieves and there's actually videos of fly um indicating dog uh that doing 200 meter retrieves you know what i mean so um because the main problem with it is a big game indicating dog the way we do it in the deer dog training blueprint is very very steady and it stays close and it takes us in on sneaks us in on animals so we can shoot the animal and then even if we wound an animal and we want to track it up that we keep the dog close and we sneak in after it for a follow-up shot we never send the dog out to break and chase and and for me personally uh that's the ultimate and i've made videos about it in the past 
I think even when you're talking about uh, following up wounded game and things, um, I prefer that than sending the dog out. Um, and it keeps everything solid, it doesn't confuse the dog, and then it keeps that indicating before the shot solid. Um, and adding a whole bunch of full-on retrieving retriever training in before you've got all that other stuff solid. It's mixed messages. The blueprint's all about reining in, slowing down, keeping close and dead steady. Whereas some indicate uh, some retriever training is about running hard straight lines, and some bird dog training is about a lot of movement, going really far away to um, find birds and cover ground. Almost the opposite. You know, you're working with two opposing forces. Um, it's like trying to lift weights to build muscle while also doing marathon training at the same time. It's two opposing things. One's trying to grow muscle and one's trying to take it away, basically. Um, so, yeah, a lot of rambling and um, elaborating on this, but uh, long story short, if you want to do both with the blueprint, and again, uh, a lot of side information on this, but we have had a lot of people do both with the blueprint and it works really well, you know. Um, I've got Miko, the dog that I trained the pal Miko dog guide now. I've been doing a couple of hunts with her on the long line. Uh, and because I didn't train her the same as I trained print in the blueprint. Um, she'll do big hard running retrieves, Fly would do hard running retrieves and then she'd also stay close as well and we've had uh, loads of people um, actually just do it, Fo follow the blueprint, get that super solid, um, even shoot a few deer, add retrieving on top of that and then they're using their, their dogs that they've trained with the deer dog training blueprint uh, as indicating dogs on deer and other big game and then they're pointing pheasants and retrieving pheasants and retrieving ducks and uh, it's basically a big game indicating dog and a rough shooting dog where a rough shooting dog is more where you're using the same dog to flush and retrieve and it's not necessarily that that real European and this is where a lot of conflict comes from two people say oh that's no good for birds for a bird dog and then other people are like now nah, it's real good for a bird dog and it's been really good for me is because there's two really generally roughly speaking there's two main schools of thought on what a bird dog is and to a lot of people uh, particularly in Europe a bird dog is a dog that goes out and runs hundreds of meters away and just runs flat stick covering ground all over the show and locks up on a bird that might be two or three hundred meters away and you walk over to the dog pointing the bird, flush the bird, shoot the bird. And even in some cases, they have pointers and they have two dogs, a pointer and a retriever. And the pointer only ever points the bird. It gets flushed and then a retriever retrieves it. Uh, I don't know. I'm sure people, will, if anyone disagrees, I'll put it in the comments, but I did a lot of pheasant shooting growing up in New Zealand. I'm talking about New Zealand here. And none of the pheasants I shot or hunted but next to none uh, would sit tight while a dog run up to them and pointed them and then while it was 200 meters away from me for me to walk over there flush the pheasant and shoot it it was all about keeping the dog in 
close at shotgun range and the dog was there to make sure you didn't walk past a tight sitting bird. Sometimes the dog would win and indicate and you'd be able to move in that direction and get closer to the bird with the dog. <clears throat> but the dog was there to flush birds within shotgun range and then retrieve them after. Um, so that's the two main types, that sort of close range flushing dog and that that completely different system, which uh, personally I've never seen many people use in New Zealand where the dog's running really far away because our wild game birds in New Zealand, not often that they'll sit tight like that. Um, but there's, there's other types of birds and, and even you know pheasants in different environments and things that will sit tight like that. The birds that'll sit really tight, people almost have to stand on the bird to get it to fly so they can shoot it off the ground. Um, so there's a lot there. I could go on and on about it. We could I could do a two-day bloody seminar on it. But um, for training a dog with a blueprint to do both, it is best to do the deer dog stuff first, get that solid, add your retrieving stuff on top later, and you can be good as gold. Hey Paul, oh, this is Elliot. Hey Paul, firstly, big thanks for what you've been doing. My question isn't directly related to the blueprints, so feel free to tell me to bugger off. Okay, I'll read it and we'll see what we're going to do here. <laughs> uh, do you have any knowledge about dogs getting hypothermia when hunting? For example, do I need to be concerned about the dog in winter? In the South Island, doing an overnighter in the bush, especially in the case the dog gets wet and is sleeping in the tent or under the tarp contact context zig is a fluffy as a fluffy 11 month old retriever who i trained myself in brackets not super well i'm using the blueprint to tie up loose ends in case it sounds like you trained it without the blueprint got the blueprint tying up loose ends she's taken to it well once I'm satisfied the kinks are ironed out, I'll get her back into my regular block. Yada, yada, yada. Still pretty close. Uh, still pretty cold down south in the summertime. Cheers for your help and apologies in advance for my future questions. <laughs> That's all right. Um, I feel like I was a bit um, anti in the last Q&A, maybe a little bit burnt out, but um, it's all good. Like, ask your questions. And I'll, I'll take it from there. Uh, okay, so dogs getting cold in the bush. Um, it's a really good point. <clears throat> uh, basically how I manage it, you know, and I've hunted over um, a lot of different dog breeds, Vizzlers, GSPs, uh, to name a couple of that tend to feel the cold a bit more. Um, labs and heading dogs tend to be quite a bit better. Uh, labs are one of the better ones for it. Um... But a couple of quick, easy rules that I sort of live by for this and making sure my dog doesn't get too cold. Two things, I always have a small a small spare towel for my dog. Um, so when I get back to camp, back to the hut, um, if my dog's wet, I dry it off, you know. And, and even if you get the sort of microfiber style towels that you can, um, you know, completely saturate them. You could... You could hold them underneath in a bucket of water 
pull them out, wring them right out, and then still dry your dog off. You know, your dog's not going to be bone dry, but you can get them dry enough to the point, pull, get enough water out of the hair that now their own body temperature will will um, dry them off. If if your dog's soaked and you just get back to camp and tell it to lay down in the corner, you feed it and make it sit down, um, they'll usually lick themselves off a lot, dry themselves off quite a bit, but usually their, 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 their back and around their legs, their back legs and their, their bum and that will stay wet. And, you know, a dog, will, they'll hold that moisture for quite a while too. They'll, they'll basically have a wet back all night. Um, but even that, just a sm- and it only has to be small, you know, like about the size of a tea towel, that microfiber. Um, it, you know, um, dry your dog off the best you can with that. Get that so the hair isn't so wet that it's matted. Get it as dry as you can. Um, straight away they're warming up much quicker because they're not sitting there wet, licking themselves off for half an hour. They're actually dry. Their body heat will get them bone dry. And then I also have a... Um, I have those fleece uh, dog coats that I use. Um, you would have seen them in um, photos and things. Uh, something that's very similar that'll do the same. My ones have pocket. We made them and I changed the shape of them and size a little bit. <clears throat> and I added pockets um, so my dogs can carry their food and stuff in. Um, but those fleece, Stony Creek make them, a few other people make them, the fleece dog coat things. Um, if it's really wet and cold, I try to take those off my dog. So the, um, if it's raining or they're going to have to swim across a river, I'll try to take that dog coat off so the dog coat stays dry. Um, and then I dry my dog off with the towel. Um, and then I put their dry coat back on them. And I'll also try to give them something to lay on so they're not either just sleeping on the hard ground or even just in a tent, you know, the old one millimeter thick real thin uh, canvasy stuff that the modern tents are made out of straight on hard ground that's not insulating bugger all um, I'll, and I'll try to get quite a bit under them too like I'll take all the stuff out of my pack lay my pack down and put a shirt, shirt over my pack and I'll sort of see me sacrifice a shirt or something I'll what's what's gonna you know a fleece tea or something that it might get a little bit damp it might get a bit of dog hair on it um, but I'll just let my dog do that and um, you know, give it a bloody sh- shake the hair off it in the morning and put it on and let my body heat dry it out or something. But um, that's about it. If, if I have that towel that I can dry my dog off with, if I have that dog coat that I can put on them uh, as an insul- insulating layer, get something under them so they're not on the cold ground and then have them in my tent or under my tarp or get them out of the wind and rain for the night, they're pretty good, pretty good. Um, there's a couple of other comments here. Um, the the inner circle has been great for this. A eh? people sharing a lot of advice amongst yourselves. Um, uh, someone commented, "Plenty of food, you know, um, keep their metabolism up and cranking. Um, plenty of food is a big one. So get them dry, get something on them, get something underneath them." Get them out of the wind and rain and give them plenty of food and good as gold. They'll be good as gold, you know. Um, they might not be absolutely over the moon, particularly the first few times. Um, but, you know, it's a dog, it's a hunting dog, you're out there doing it. And um, uh, 
if you put all those steps in place, they'll be fine. Um, and, and again, you know, we, we, I spent a lot of time on this in the blueprint, um, showing people how to teach a dog to be in a kennel right from the start, um, then teach them how to go on a chain. And then we even went to the extent of setting up like a mock hunting setup at home and chaining your dog up in a random spot in the garden um, or something to lay on and they've had food and they've got water and they've been to the bathroom and they're under a tarp and just chain them to a tree and walk away and get them used to it so they're used to all of that stuff before you go hunting so your dog's not dealing with all these new crazy stressful experiences the first time you're trying to hunt with it and you want it to perform like a good dog um, in the blueprint we go through all of that stuff anyone that's watched the whole blueprint knows what I'm talking about there's loads of different stuff in there not just training and discipline and scent work and guns there's all these other things you know from lifestyle stuff um, you know vehicles and water and obstacles in the bush and right down to this exact thing you know teaching a dog how to um, be comfortable in that situation so There's loads on that. That's all sort of the to do the do do this stuff. Um, I guess as far as do's and don'ts, that uh, I think it's a would just be uh, it's a good question. The point I'm trying to make here, I'm babbling away. Uh, it's a good question, and you do want to look after your mate, you know, and you want your dog to get a good night's sleep and have a good feed and be warm and dry and comfortable and happy, so it can perform properly the next day. And, um, you know, you, you do see people getting it wrong and you see people getting it wrong in lots of different ways. Uh, it's actually pretty rare that these days that I see people being too hard on their dogs. Um, it's often the other way around. Um, you know, people that I, I very rarely see someone just tie a dog up under a tree outside so it's like wet and cold and suffering. Um, probably the most common one I see is just people being a little bit overexcited and distracted out on their first hunting trip for ages they're stoked to be there and they just miss that the, they're not quite in tune with their dog the whole time and thinking about it and and maybe a little bit inexperienced or whatever it is i don't know but i've seen different things like a guy someone walking all the way in um to a hut gets to the hut he's been drinking water all the way there and he might have even crossed a creek but he didn't think to see his dog's excited too and his dog's picking up on his excitement and the dog walks straight across that creek without having a drink the dog's been walking for six hours and then he ties it up in the sun on the deck without giving it water and he's been at the hut for three hours and i said hey do you want me to give your dog some water i'm just out here doing this anyway and give it because i know that his dog's probably thirsty as shit and i put a bucket of water in front of the dog and it drinks half the bucket like it was about to bloody die you know um i'm exaggerating but you get the point just things like that so it goes both ways um your dog can get hot it can get cold it can be thirsty doesn't need a shit is it when, when was its last piss you know what i mean and a lot's going on and it's exciting and 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 it's exciting for the dog too and um uh, you know prince is shocker for it um he won't take a shit and we're hunting because he doesn't want to stop 
Um, he so loves it so much, and he's watching me. And if I'm just keep walking and walking and walking and hunting, he and then for whatever reason I'll stop. And um, as soon as I stop, he's taking a shit because he's busting and he's been holding it for ages. Um, so I've actually learnt to uh, give him that time. You know, I'll just stop somewhere randomly and wait for him to relax, and he'll often take a shit. You know, so there's all these things. Anyway, I'm rambling again, um, but so I think someone said in this Q and A that um, I keep saying I'm rambling, so I go on to the next thing. But they said that um, they're getting the best information out of my rambles, <laughs> which some people would probably argue with that. But anyway, uh, Ange, hi Paul. First lot of commands in part one are going really well. Just watching ahead for next month's plan. What do you suggest us city folk do when it comes time in part two to practice walking out front and taking off the property? I'm not allowed to take Chase out on our footpath until his last vaccination. And there's way more distraction in town than where you filmed. Do I just find a quiet country road somewhere and drive there to do this in the hopes no other dogs have been in the area? I picked so he's safe before his last vaccine. So there's a little bit, there's a few different points in that question. I think, it, because in the blueprint, uh, we do the first month's training from about eight weeks to about 12 weeks, um, all at home on the section. And it works quite well because the pup's young and we don't need to be covering lots of ground. And it's sort of a side note. I can't remember if I mentioned it in the blueprint. Um, but uh, coincidentally, and and it was sort of a, on purpose as well that uh, you, it used to be that the dog got its last shot. It could if you had it had it all lined up right, and you got its first shot as soon as you could, and then you you got all the shots at the right times. Uh, the dog could have its last shots at about eight weeks old, and then you were supposed to wait about a month. I might have this wrong. It was something like this. You either had to wait a month after its last shots at eight weeks or the dog had to go back in at about 12 weeks old, get its final shots, wait a week, and then you're away. But whichever way around it was, it was you could get all your puppet shots and it could be clear to go out at 12 weeks old. Now, I don't know when this kicked in, but sometime in the last year or two or three, vets have changed it and now they won't clear your dog to be okay to go around where other dogs have been. There's a whole, there's another month and there's a whole nother round of shots. So what used to be 12 weeks could be clear. Now it's, uh, what's that, um, 16 weeks. So people are following the blueprint and they're going, it used to be, okay, sweet. So um, I can take my dog off the section. And now in part three of the blueprint, here's old Paul saying, um, okay, now let's take the dog off the section and train in, in a nice area like this while the vet's telling them, um, no, you can't take your dog where other dogs have been until it's 16 weeks old. So we've, we've got a little bit of a thing there and that's sort of where Angie's question's coming from. Um, and it's a hard one. It's kind of a pain in the ass. And really, 
I don't know why it's changed, um, and I don't, I don't really want to theorise on it, and I definitely don't want to say, hey, look, they're probably wrong anyway, so just take your dog out. Um, personally, that would be my uh, my thing. Would be they're being really overcautious. Something happened somewhere one time once where a dog got it, and a dog got parvo or something, and they said, well, shit, hang on, maybe we should be doing another round. Um, and maybe I'm completely wrong there. Maybe loads of dogs started getting it. There's a new crazy version of parvo out there, or it's get it, you know, or it's one of the other ones that you get them um, immunized for. Uh, I don't know, but it just seems I don't know why it's gone from for years. It was you could have them cleared by 13 weeks, and now all of a sudden you can't have them cleared or 16. Um, Personally, if it was me, if I had another dog, I think this this is actually what I do with Miko. I got all these shots like I always have for my whole life, and where a dog used to always be clear, I started taking her out, and then I got her next follow up shots anyway. Don't necess- don't take that advice from me. Um, listen to your vet, and if your vet says sixteen weeks, then it's sixteen weeks, and the only real answer to that is. You maybe just have to battle away in your section or do exactly what you said, Ange. Take the dog out somewhere where you theoretically know there's been no other dogs. There's really no way of doing that. Um, so, you know, again, I'm rambling and I'm going around and around in circles, but I'm just sort of thinking out loud and, and trying to put it all out here, which is what these um, Q&As are all about. But that's really all you can do is do your best in the situation, you know, and, and, and quite a few of these answers end up being that, you know what I mean? Um, it's like the my dog on the long line thing, dogs paying the ass on the long line. You just got to do your best and try to work it out the best you can. Um, so, and, you know, really the, the, the proper advice here is for me to say, and I, and I really should just say, it, listen to your vet. If they say don't take it where other dogs have been till 16 weeks then you've got another four weeks that you've got to try to keep your pup entertained and exercised enough on your section and move on to that stuff a month later and there's nothing really wrong with doing that either you can try to start doing some of the um, part three stuff around home um, and just just play it out a month you're far better off spending an extra few weeks uh and moving forward slower than you are hurrying it along, that's for sure. Um, there's always the contradiction to that. Where sometimes I'm, someone, I, I, one time I'll say that, I'll say, uh, you're always better off taking your time. And then someone will start asking questions. I'll say, hey, that's, you need to watch your head so you can bring some of the stuff forward. Because um, every now and again, you can bring something forward and start doing it sooner. It can solve a problem. But uh, generally, you're better off taking your time. Um, then Ange also says something about there's way more distraction in town than where you filmed. She's talking about where I filmed the blueprint. I also just made the Palmico dog guide um, in town. That's actually why I moved to town. That's for people saying, hey, but you filmed, you train your dog there. So I was like, well, I'm going to move to town then and do it in town so people can't say that. Um, and again you just have to you know and i had to do it with miko and i've had to work around it um i had to choose my places and times and 
you know, not be out at the park at um, quarter past five when everyone else is out there. Go out after dark or early in the morning or try to do it in the middle of the day on a weekend or whatever. You know what I mean? You have to try and absorb some of these um, hurdles and and work your way around them. You know, there's a way around all of this stuff. Um, yeah. Um, Hamish, hi Paul, thanks for making the blueprint and following up with the Q&As in the podcast. Uh, it's all, all good, man. Thank you. Uh, thanks for the thanks. Uh, it's awesome. I am all over the podcast and it's, helped, and it's helped me so much through my training. What you call rambles are absolute gems and are what I get the best bits of advice from. That was that comment I was saying. Before, um, you shouldn't really encourage me to ramble, man. It could get out of hand. Uh, I am training a three-quarter heading dog, quarter hunt away, five-month-old pup through part two of the blueprint. Kenneling is sweet. Range is good. He walks nice and slow out in front, inside three meters. Sit stays are getting near with us. Starting to extend my stop, my question is... Would it be okay to take Scout out for a jog in the morning while I do my morning run? I would correct him with the tensioning lead. It works like the long line until he matched my pace and would push him something. If I and he goes on a bit a little bit here. Um, and he adds a bit of context and so on and so forth, but which is great. Um, but he's basically saying, is it okay to take my dog out for a jogging in the morning? And uh, short answer is yes, as long as the dog stays close. Um, and in hindsight, that's probably one of the few things that I would add to the blueprint. Um, it's something I've done a lot with Miko, and it's, it's sort of been one of these ongoing things with the blueprint. Um, people saying, well, shit. This training's really good, and and it's obviously going to produce a very very steady disciplined dog. But I'm struggling to exercise my dog enough, and we've talked about that a lot. And I went back in part one and added the update about freedom sessions and things like that. Um, but Hamish is bringing up a really good point there, and in, in some of the context that he added there, he's talking about having his training sessions um, on a long line and doing all that calm training stuff and drills and range and turns and stops and all that stuff. But then putting his dog on a leash, short leash, keeping it close and going for a jog and just having his dog jog beside him. And um, um, and even while I'm saying this, I'm thinking I could just go back and throw another update early on the blueprint so people can use that as a tool. Um, but that is okay. You know, it's in an ideal world, if you were to say, what's the best way to just train the most sol rock solid robot indicating dog, I'd say, it probably wouldn't do that, but uh, it comes back to this is almost becoming a principle, actually. That uh, basically is a principle that as long as you can do it, put your dog on a leash, take it for a jog every morning so it can get a nice run and expend a bit of energy instead of that slow, calm, and controlled training session. If you can do that jog, come home, do your training session or do your training session in the evening and you can add those jogs in 
and keep progressing through training without having too many problems and you keep making good progress and everything's going all right then it's okay you know but if your training was going good and then you started doing these jogging sessions in it and then all of a sudden you started having some negative effect your dog started getting distracted or pulling on the lead or getting excited or your training wasn't as good then it's no good you know what i mean um so there's that but definitely um without a doubt you could add that type of exercise in to raising and training a dog with the with the deer dog training blueprint and be fine you know what i mean um and this is why all this rambling is important because that's why the blueprint is the way it is and there's so much talking and, and there's, there's so much. Because every time you go, if I can't just say, yep, Hamish, take your dog for a run every morning because there's so, there's so many, uh, take your dog for a run, but make sure you do this and if this happens, do that. And there's all these, there always has to be all these this information that comes with it, you know. Um, but uh, Hamish, long story short, I can tell, like, listening to all the Q&As, you obviously write into the blueprint, you give me all this context. In the context, he's saying that um, he's good at dealing with distractions and he'll keep them on a lead and all that. You should be good as gold, man. Good as gold. Yeah. There's no reason why not. Joshua was saying, thanks for the advice on kenneling and part one training. We are now on part two of the blueprint. Melly, I think I'm saying that right, is now Marley, maybe. Marley is now seven and a half months old. She is very good in her kennel, very quiet, except for a small whine once in a while. <clears throat> uh, tries to cut, oh, small whine once in a while, try to cut that off with commander disapproval. My issue now is mainly her stop command. She has a rock solid stay when she is sitting almost good enough to start clapper training but nine out of ten excuse me nine out of ten times i command her to sit i need to push her bum down i know she knows what the command means because she will sit in a very low distraction area in brackets the garage <laughs> when her full attention is on me but as soon as a leaf blows on the ground or she smells something around or when she is walking our daily path out in front sniffing the trail, she ignores me until I sit her down. I step on the long one half a second after. I command sit. She sometimes stops and sometimes just turns and sniffs the radius of the long line or tries to come back to me. When she stops, I walk in. Command sit again and push your bum down enough so she can't sit on her own sometimes. God damn it, this is a, this, I'm only halfway through this. She will even just stay in a half squat position and I have to push her down completely. If she doesn't stop, I try to get her back to where she was on the stop and sit her down. I've taken your advice from previous Q&As, trying to be sterner and sharper with my movements and commands, but my biggest concern is that she is not looking back at me. So wait, if your biggest concern is, so you're saying I've tried to be sterner and sharper with my commands, but my biggest concern is that she is not looking back at me like 
print was with you at that stage. So is your biggest concern that she's not sitting straight away or is your biggest concern that she's not looking back? I'm starting to, I'm starting to lose you a bit here. She is either focused ahead or focused on the ground or coming back to me to sit, which I don't want. I'm wondering if it would be okay to start doing some non-verbal turns to try and get her to be more attentive. You could, but basically do them as per the blueprint. I'm not... You know, you're talking about you don't do a turn in a sit drill. You definitely don't do a turn in a sit drill. So you've lost me a bit there. Or if you have any other techniques to get her attention on me so we can achieve an instant sitting stop. He's saying one in a circle member, Josh Jackson mentioned he has a look command for his dogs. I don't have a look command. Um, and people are generally, some people when they are around me and my dogs are blown away by how much my dog looks at me. The way I get my dog to look at them is they never get released unless I, unless they look at me. Particularly early on in training and all that we massive deep detail in that all through the blueprint. Um, I know this issue is already a dead horse but it's become a very frustrating sticking point for me. in uh, the pup I know these things take time but I just want to know if I'm training her properly and not developing bad habits for myself or her thanks Paul also any way to buy the Palmico dog guide separate from the blueprint I've recommended it to a few friends and my dad to help them out with their dogs okay uh, yep Pal uh, the Palmico dog guide you can get it separately we added it as an add on to the blueprint so you can either add it on to the blueprint if you've already got it uh, for a pretty good price or you can just get the get the package together because people started asking hey is Palmico dog guide can I get it with the blueprint so we set it up but it's really um, it, it's really good as a package with the blueprint it's it's basically a, it's a product that's the same size as the blueprint there's a ton of stuff in there uh, and again it can all be used together um, but you can get it on on your own on its own, and that was the main point of it was for people that aren't hunting that want to follow our training principles, um, and that's what it is. And it's all made in town, and just train a pet. Um, but with all the good stuff that's in the blueprint, anyway. Rambling um, Palmico Dog Guide on its own. Uh, we've, just, we've got a proper website now, PalmicoDogTraining.com. Uh, at least I think that's it. Um, we just set it up, uh, and we've had a bit of trouble with some random old caching and links. But yeah, palmicodogtraining.com, it's all there. Um, and then we've also got Palmico Dog Training on Facebook and YouTube. And there's some Palmico Q&As on the Paul Michaels Revolution podcast. Uh, but man, to go back to this question, dude, she's a thumper. <laughs> and it sort of goes all over the place. Um, long story short, you're having trouble with your dog's sit, and you've got all these different ideas on how to deal with it. Um, your dog's seven and a half months old. Um, yeah, your sit should be pretty good by now. Um, man, you know, in a situation like this, I would say look at everything else. You know, if someone's like my dog, seven and a half months old, I'm on the 
blueprint. Every time I say sit, nine times out of ten, the dog won't actually sit. I've tried sharper reactions. I've tried this. I've tried that. I've tried what you said. Something's wrong there somewhere, man. Um, you know, is, is your dog getting too much freedom? Is, is Are you doing, are you trying to do your 10-minute training session, but, you know, three or four days a week, but you're doing a whole bunch of other stuff that's not supportive of that training? Um, is someone else doing some stuff? How much time is your dog in the kennel? Remember how important kenneling is. It's so freaking important. And, you know, I'm working with a dog now in the blue, in the, uh, that's going in the Palmico dog guide. In the Palmico dog guide, we're doing some remedial stuff. And I'm working with a dog that has some really serious dog-on-dog uh, -dog aggression. And she's like a, a bully terrier cross, you know. She looks like a pit bull mastiff cross or something like that her name's Bo seven years old big meathead looking beast um she'd look um right at home in a pig dog dog box you know but she's been someone's pet in town she hasn't had the right training all this a lot of stuff's got completely out of hand with her and she basically just wants to attack every dog that she sees that she doesn't know um and also every animal that she sees that she doesn't know any cat cow calf anything that she sees that's not a person she just wants to kill it and uh so i'm working with her in the palmico dog guide with filming everything i'm doing and putting in the in the dog guide and and um you know i was working with her off and on just going and picking her up and and working with her for a bit and then dropping her back off home and picking her up again and um her sit drill was something that was very, very difficult, very, very slow, and just you just repeat it over and over. And you'd say, "Bo," you'd say, "Bo, sit, step in, push your bum down, step back." She'd get up. I'd step back in, push your bum back down, step back. She'd get. I just did that over and over and over and over. I think we got somewhere. It's like a forty-minute shot, one continuous video shot of me saying, "Bo, sit, step in, push your bum down, step back." She gets up. And I just say, Bo, sit, step back and push your bum down. And just we just go round and round in circles for ages. And I was making progress, but it was very, very slow. And it was sort of two steps forward, two steps back type of thing. And uh, then I got her, I've got her at my place now full time. And I had her at my place for a week. Uh, only left the section a couple of times on a very short leash, being very, very firm on her. Gave her a bit of exercise, um, gave her a lot of kenneling, didn't let her inside once. Every time she put a paw wrong, I come down on her like a ton of bricks with command and disapproval. Every time she tried to walk inside without being invited, I said, get outside, bow and stomp my foot. Um, Every, every time I'm trying to feed her, she's knocking the scoop out of my hand and biscuits are flying everywhere. And just a continual pain in the ass, okay? And I was just really hard on her for a week. Just not hard on her in a, in a bad way, you know. I was never hit her or um, gave her a yell to do when she wasn't doing something completely ridiculous. But just firm. And, and really, really consistent the whole time. She wouldn't never get in the kennel. You say, Bo, walk over by a kennel and say, Bo, get in. And she'd look at you and know exactly what you wanted to do. And she'd turn around and walk the other way. Every single time she did that, I'd go grab her, 
by the collar and pull her into the can and put her in there and she never won and I never lost for a week. Yesterday was the first time. My dogs, I don't say anything. I walk over to the kennel and I open the door and they look at me and go, ah, shit. And they just walk in because they know they're never going to win. And Bo did that for the first time. Might have been this morning. I used to always, like, this is what I'm talking, my dogs do it without saying anything. I don't even say anything. For the last few days, I've, I had to say, Bo, Bo, come. Bo can't say it once or twice and she slowly come over. I got her to the point where I didn't have to drag her. For a while, she's at the point where she'd walk over to me and she'd st stop outside the door and I had to give her a little push and, to get in. Um, at the start, she'd jump in and try to jump back out. All is bullshit. Today, I, <laughs> it was quite funny actually. My, my dogs did it. I just walked towards the kennel and my dogs just follow me over there and get in. And Bo was just sort of standing in the middle of the section. I opened her kennel. And she, she started walking straight and she just walked real slow, real slow. And I expected her to stop just before she got, but she just didn't miss a step and just slowly just walked right in. But I digress. After having her at home for a week and just not letting her get away with any bullshit and, and also no self-gratification, that's a huge one. Uh, I took her out and did a long line session. We didn't we hadn't done stop drills for months, and last time I'd done them with her, she was terrible at them. And I took her out, and we're out there, and I said, "Bo, sit." She just sat down, and she just freaking stayed sitting down. And that's that that's that rule of transfer that I talk about. Every moment with your dog is an opportunity to gain or lose real respect. It's a constant, flowing, rolling dynamic. That's just It's constantly on. It's like an, constant analytics in your dog's brain. Constantly. The whole time. This is like really freaking important. Everything your dog sees you do and everything you do with your dog is constantly... It's like a scoreboard that's just going up and down where you are with your dog. So if you're constantly doing all this incorrect stuff and then you go out and try to do a sit drill with it, the dog's just like, you're the dude that I've been watching do all this stuff that's completely unrelated to me listening to you now. And that whole thing there is massive. And... Um, that's why kenneling so important. That's why routine so important. That's why training correctly right from the start. And that's why, you know, and, and Bo's turning into a really, into like a, a poster dog for why my training is the way it is. And people say, oh, why do you do that with a dog? Why are you so hard? Well, Bo's actually in a situation where no one wants her at the moment. And if we can't sort it out, she's probably going to get put down. You know, and it's just from that lack of boundaries and trying to be nice. So anyway, now I'm really rambling. So I don't know if any of that makes sense, Joshua. Um, again, none of it's a dig at you or what's going. But I don't know what's going on there. But it's all in the blueprint. You have to do it right. 
if you've listened to all the Q&As and watched the blueprint and everything, it's, it's all in there, but something else is wrong, you know, and I don't know what it is, but um, Ryan, uh, <laughs> hey Paul, probably another long-winded case of me overthinking things, but I just want to get your thoughts on a couple of questions I have regarding my eight-month-old GSP. We've just started scent training. She's super keen and I'm doing my best to slow her down and stop her hitting the end of the long line. Okay. We've just started scent training. She's super keen and I'm doing my best to slow her down and stop her hitting the end of the long line. You should be doing a non-communicative turn before she hits the end of the long line. So there's no doing your best. It's you just do what you're supposed to do. You know what I mean? Um, and again, it's all on the blueprint and make sure you're doing it right. Um, the funny thing is when she smells or sees kangaroos, she has an awesome natural slow stalk, stays well within range and is really attentive, continually looking back at me every few meters. There's a thing that young dogs do when they're stalking certain types of animals for the first times, particularly before you've actually shot them that those animals over the dog so the dog knows hey we're here to kill these things so i don't need to be scared of them that a lot of and it, it's not all dogs will do it every dog's different and sometimes a dog will do it with one animal and you'll see it st stalking the pig so you're like awesome my dogs everything's solid and steady and ready to go and then it smells a deer and it acts completely different so that's probably what's going on there, Ryan. Your dog's seeing those kangaroos and it's just like, it's a pretty gnarly big animal that I know nothing about. So all of a sudden your dog's all careful and sneaking, looking back at you like, shit, what, how's the boss reacting to this? And is he, is the boss still there in case something goes wrong here? And they're, they're unsure, you know. Um, and trust me, uh, um, a GSP will grow out of that pretty quick. And you'll have all <laughs> you have all sorts of fun on your hands. Uh, okay, so that's a bit of a thing on that. In your experience, do you think this will transfer onto live deer once we start hunting? I basically just answered it may or it may not. And even if it does, that's all it is: is the dog being cautious at the start and sometimes that that really can work in your favor and and sometimes when people fluke a good deer dog without training it that's what a lot of it's based on at the start if the dog doesn't end up unsteady and breaking and things like that it's just because it's like really unsure but just interested enough to sneak in and take a, the person in on it and hunt but it's unsure enough to stay close to the owner and keep looking back and if the first few hunts pan out right and a lot of it has to do with luck if you haven't trained your dog uh and there's loads to that with from you could take it from steadiness confidence gunfire just tons of things but if you fluke it things can fall into place and people are like oh, i've got a great deer dog i didn't train mine but uh, a lot of that often has to do with luck 
um, and, and try doing that 10 times in a row with 10 different dogs. You know, try doing it with 100 different dogs. It won't work. But uh, what often happens, so to answer your question, Ryan's saying, um, will that transfer from what the dog's doing on kangaroos to what the dog's doing on deer? The answer is it might, but it might not as well. Your dog might be like that on kangaroos, but then be very keen and competent on deer. And that, like I said, every dog's different. Um, some dogs are very, very competent on deer. All they want to do is move in on them and they push their range. But the first time they smell a pig, all of a sudden they, the range drops right in and they're very cautious. And you're like, holy shit, my dog's sneaking perfectly all of a sudden. But it's because it's smelling a big boar or smelling a pig and it doesn't and it's unsure. Um, print was the opposite. Print was, uh, well, pr print's never been, uh, print's about middle of the road. He's sort of like a medium eye heading dog, so he doesn't do the super slow motion sneak like some dogs do, and he doesn't want to just charge in there. He just sort of wants to move in, and I have to. Um, he's, get, he's getting slower and slower and getting more eye and sneak, but I just have to manage him and he just sort of moves in at a medium pace. Um, but on pigs, the very first pig he ever smelt, he was very keen and just wanted to move in, if anything, a little bit faster. So what I'm saying, Ryan, here with your kangaroo thing, your dog might be exactly the same on deer, it might be more cautious, it might be less cautious, and every dog's different. But even if it is best case scenario and your dog's naturally cautious and sneaking in on deer, that's only going to last so long coming from that place, coming from that place of your dog being cautious. And if you don't have good training setup and good range and a good stop command and steadiness to the shot and all of the... Uh, steadiness around distraction and all your training down super solid and you try to rely on your dog being naturally weary, naturally weary of the deer at the start what generally ends up happening is your dog's quite weary on the first deer you shoot it and the dog goes and the dog goes over and the deer's laying dead on the ground and the dog goes oh shit okay I see how this pans out it's a little bit more confident on the next one and a little bit more confident on them, and they build confidence and then one day they'll if you don't have a good foundation of training all of a sudden you start getting into problems and your dog will start breaking pushing its range and all that stuff if you don't have a solid foundation of training so that's my take on that then he also says uh, on a quick side note since I brought her home at 10 weeks old I've always put a lot of pressure on her for paying any attention to kangaroos without much effect do you think this would warrant the use of an e-collar uh, I don't know um, that's not to say that you can't use an e-collar on your dog and have and have an effect on the way she looks at kangaroos in fact, I'd say you, you definitely can, but I don't think it warrants the use of an e-collar. Um, yeah, it might. 
yeah, no, I don't. <laughs> Let's just leave the e-collar thing at that. And then he, Ryan also says, another behaviour I can't seem to stop despite a lot of pressure is eating roux, goat and sheep poo or anything else she deems tasty. I'd really like to stop this, mainly as it is a huge distraction for her while we're training in the paddocks and there's also the risk of her potentially picking up parasites or worse, bait. Could this also be a job for an e-collar or maybe a muzzle, and I would also say no. Apologise for being a ball breaker. <laughs> Keep up the good work. Um, yeah, I would say no and no. And and I could go in all sorts of directions with that, but uh, see, one of the biggest things. One of the biggest reasons why I don't like using treats or using um, e-collars is it distracts you away from the, the real problem and what's really going on. Um, and I'm not saying that you can't use treats and e-collars to good effect. You really, really can. Um, but you can also train a dog really, really well without them. And it's really, really easy to use e-collars and treats in the wrong way. And, and uh, you know, the same quote. Um, and again, giving credit where credit's due. The, the first, I don't know if this he was the first guy to say it, but the first time I heard this was Clark Reed was saying, once you understand how to use an e-collar properly, you understand that you don't need one. So... If you can't get on top of all of this stuff with good training, good routine, all that other stuff I was talking about, getting making sure everything else is right with your dog, and and again, Ryan, in a situation like this, that would be a big question for me here, would be the rant that I gave about Bo and how when I just had her at my place for a week and I cut all the bullshit out, all of a sudden, all of that simple stuff, like, don't eat the shit sit down and stay sitting down and don't look at the kangaroo all of a sudden they just do it because I got on top of all that other bullshit I would say make sure all of that stuff is on for you and generally in my experience I would say when when and I've seen this over and over and I've had really really good experience dog owners and hunters and trainers um, have a problem with their dog that they couldn't sort out and they uh, and I've done it too. I've messed around with e-collars and treats and all that stuff. And, 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 you know, I've been a student of dog training forever. And I still am, you know. Um, the amount of times I've seen someone say, you know, oh, I got an e-collar to try and sort this out. Worst thing I ever did. You know, because if th these are really simple things, just getting your dog to stay on a sit, getting your dog to stop eating roux shit, getting your dog to stop eating roux, it's very, very simple stuff. And if you can't get on top of it without an e-collar, chances are using an e-collar is going to be a freaking disaster. And that's why I say no. You know, um... 
And I'm not saying they don't work. Yeah, you could use them, but I'm not going to be the one to tell you to use one. Um, Jesse, hey Paul, quick question regarding taking the dog where you know deer are. I train and ride horses and got a GSP as he should be able to keep up on the horse rides, but where we ride horses in Woodhill Forest, West Auckland, there are heaps of fellow deer. Yeah, I know Woodhill, I've been out there. Um, is it going to be detrimental to my boy training as an indicating dog? If I take him on our rides, if he can't take me in on deer, just to clarify, dog is just three months old, going good so far, but just trying to prepare for any future conflicts. Don't want to confuse the poor guy. Uh, I would say yes and no, and and there's a again, it's it's not. <laughs> I can't just say no, never have a problem. I can't say yes, it's going to destroy everything. Don't do it. There's it's <laughs> there's more to the answer than that. I I'm, first off, you can do it and it's going to be fine. But uh, if you do it in the wrong way, it could also cause problems. And my advice on it would be um, to not take your dog out with you riding horses with the deer around until you've finished all its training and you've shot a few deer over it. Uh, that's the huge key eh, with, with exposing dogs to deer is, is um if you're training it to be a deer dog, keep it the hell away from deer. If you can, if you've had a couple of the, um, exceptions to that, we've had people that like, man, I want to train a deer dog over here, but I've got deer right next to me. Um, I've got a deer farm paddock right next to my house, you know what I mean? So, uh, and I don't want to move in order to get a deer dog. I said, you'll, look, you'll be sweet. Especially in that case, when it's right at the house, then, because this is one of our principles in the blueprint, we go over it. Uh, situational awareness, and dogs do have strong situational awareness, and it works in two ways. It can work for you or against you, um, and again, it works both ways. Um, uh, but here, the, the, in the context of this question. In the, in the context of that guy having deer right next to his house, the dogs can learn that uh, when you're riding the horse in Woodhill Forest and no one's got a gun and we're just out there riding horses, that we don't go after the deer. Uh, but when we go basically anywhere else particularly when you get the when you're carrying a gun and you're going into the bush then we are hunting the deer and the dog can quickly learn and differentiate between the two however if first of all i wouldn't take a dog in a situation where i'm on a horse and the dog's off the horse and i'm riding through the bush or in an area like Woodhill Forest, with or without deer, until my training was sorted. Because that's quite a full-on dynamic situation with a lot going on. I'm on the horse and the dog, I don't know, I just, 
I'm not going to be able to use a long line. I'm not going to be able to control the dog. There's a lot going on. I just, personally, I wouldn't do it, and I wouldn't recommend other people do it if they want the highest chance of having the best results. Um, and and not having something happen that's going to seriously jeopardise the results. But once the dog's trained and you've shot a few deer over it, and you've set up that default, and the dog knows how it all works and knows how it gets the positive result of shooting a deer, you know we we talk about this about um, training with is training for success, making sure the dog gets it right, and there's training with success. Training with success is the fact that if you get the dog to carry out a behavior in or, or a, 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 an activity in the way you want it to do it and the dog gets what it perceives as a successful result doing it that way then the dog's going to want to do it that way again to get that successful result again i don't know if that, if that made any sense i think it did so and that's a really really important part of training a deer dog and it's a massive part of what the blueprint is and how it works is it's all set up to funnel the dog towards there's no, and there's no way out of that funnel either it's it's it can't get it wrong it can't stuff it up and the only path for that dog is to end up in a situation where it's hunting well staying close stopping when we want takes us to a deer we shoot the deer the dog's steady to the shot. We take it over to the deer. And dogs love hunting. And the way we handle the way the dog, the first time that the dog approaches the deer and what we do after that and what we do for the next few cements all of that. There's things you can do wrong there. There's things you can do correctly there. But once you, once you do all of that stuff that's in the blueprint and you've finished all your training, you've done it all properly, and you've shot a few deer over the dog, that is in there. It, it's, it's really well in there, you know, and it's cemented in the dog. And once the dog knows how to hunt, and it's done it a few times, and it knows that if it just goes out and repeats that same stuff again, that that's going to want to get the deer, and that's what the dog wants to do, that's set up. And now you can do other stuff, you know. And going back to that uh, video, free video on YouTube, talking about retrieving and range and things with our dogs. Um, that was a lot of that about talking about how once our dogs are fully trained, now we can take them out and they can run around and have more freedom and stuff. So, so there's that. So, deer, with or without the deer out there, I wouldn't take them out on the horse anyway until all your training's done and i wouldn't take them around deer until you've shot a few deer and you're going out in the bush and the dog knows what it's doing now as soon as it gets out there it's trying to work the wind as soon as the nose goes down it's tracking and it's just trying to spending all day trying to take you to a deer it knows exactly what you're doing out there then you could take it out even then it's not ideal but you can do it and, and I'm telling you, you, you can 100%. It's not that it's not ideal, it's that it's just going to add a, f a few more things that you're going to have to be aware of, or it's going to be a little bit niggly, but you'll be fine, okay? Then you're going to be able to take your dog out, 
and yeah, might see a deer and it'll run off. And as long as your range is good, you've got your recall and you're out there in Waterhill and you can turn your dog. We, we turn dogs away from deer while we're hunting anyway. And we talk about that in the blueprint as well, how to do that. Um, it's something I've talked about in Q and A's. Um, <clears throat> So, but the reason you don't want to do it before you finish your training and everything's set up and your dog's hunting well and it knows how to do it and wants to keep repeating it is if you do it beforehand then and you're taking your dog out before it knows what it's even meant to be doing with deer and the first thing you're doing with deer is turning it away from them then that's no good. It's not so bad if they are, <clears throat> in the case with the deer living right next to the guy's house, because then he goes out and does his skin work and teaches the dog to track the deer and take him to deer on the, and all of that. So every time the dog leaves, the property is taken into the deer. Uh, but taking doing all your training in one place around home or wherever you're doing your training and then taking your dog on this big trip on the horses and out to and turning it away from deer the whole time before you started hunting your dog now when you take your dog out to start hunting it's going to smell deer and think oh those those things we're not meant to have anything to do with but once you've done the hunting thing and that's all set up and your dog knows how to do it now you can do it and it's going to all pan out and work out um yeah I hope that all makes sense. Uh, I think I covered it all there. If anything in any of these questions, if, you, if you've brought the blueprint, you're in the inner circle, and anything in any of these questions don't make sense, and I've sort of rambled or it hasn't, you're like, ah, still, but what about this? What about that? Don't hesitate to ask another question, and I'll clear it up. Christopher, first question, biting long line, what to do when all disapproval of biting long line escalates into five-month-old lab, losing it, throwing a tantrum and biting at me when I put even more pressure on. I try to not get to this point. Usually it's from too many stop turn commands or when she has been going too long on a session. I have resorted to ignoring and ending a session, but there is always the walk back to the car to deal with also tracking collars, use them or not. I'm not I'm not gonna get into the tracking collar. You don't for a dog you can use a tracking collar if you want, if you're really worried about your dog running getting away in the bush somehow. If you training if you finish your training properly you shouldn't need it. I don't use it. I don't recommend to use it, but there's no reason why not to use it as a precaution. Back to the biting the long line thing and the dog losing it and throwing a tantrum. There's some pretty important stuff here. Usually it's from too many stop and turns. Stop or turn commands or when she has been going too long on a session. When you've been taking, when you, you 
the dog hasn't been going too long on the session. You've been take you've been doing too long a sessions and you've been doing too many stops and turns. Then you say, I've been resorting to ignoring and ending a session when it happens. So what you're doing, this is what you're doing. You've explained it in one way, I'm going to explain it back to you in, a, in the way that your dog's seeing it. You're going out doing stop doing drills with your dog until it gets sick of it and until it starts packing a tantrum so you end the session you ignore it and end the session so you're like huh i'm not going to do any more drills with you this fun time's over to the dog you're taking it out asking it to do stuff and it does it for a while until it gets sick of it then it packs a tantrum and you stop asking it to do stuff. <laughs> so the dog's winning. If you're training with a dog and you keep repeating drills until the dog starts packing a shit and you end the session there and he even says, I've been resorting to ignoring and ending the session but there's always the walk back to the car to deal with so you so the walk back to the car to deal with so you're saying that it's that the walk back to the car is not going well so to the yeah so so anyway that's what it is you think you're going huh i'm not going to do this fun stuff with you anymore and the dog's going i'm not listening anymore you give up and the dog wins so what you got to do, something's wrong there too. You, you're either doing way too much with way too much pressure without enough praise and you're probably pushing too hard too. And by pushing too hard, I mean you're making the dog stay too long, you're stepping back too far, you're not giving the dog enough benefit of the doubt and you're just doing a turn. You're trying to get your dog to stay within this really tight bit of range instead. It's five months old, you know, instead of giving it a couple of metres to play with and giving it every opportunity you can to get it right. And then when it has a little win, you're like, good dog, good dog, and then separate praise from the release and then release it. You've probably been way too hard on it, way too much pressure, constantly testing the dog instead of just constantly trying to get the dog to get it right and just get those little wins and build momentum uh, either that or you're just doing way too many drills way too close together so if this is what's happening you're going out with a five month old lab and it's throwing massive tantrums uh, I would say lighten right up you don't generally necessarily have to do shorter sessions. I've talked about this a lot. Whether it's a 10-minute session or an hour and 10-minute session, you still only want to do five or six of each drill. You know, a 10-minute training session can have five stop drills in it. And you turn when your dog's... And, and when I, was, I was about to say you turn when the dog's pushing its range. But that's always... Uh, relative to your dog's stage of learning range. 
you don't you don't do no range work and go out in part three and start making your dog do backflips with non-communicative turns every time it goes four centimeters past three meters you know and maybe you just slowly start introducing the idea and 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 then refine it and get it better and better training in steps it's another principle um so if you are where you're at and you're going out and your dog's throwing these tantrums after a certain amount of time first thing is you've got to end the session on a good note you have to end the session with the dog getting it right you have to end a session with the dog doing a good drill ending a session on a tantrum is one of the worst things you can do it's one of the worst things you can do um so first things first, cut it right back. And I don't care if you've got into this place where every session the dog starts losing the plot at the end, massive tantrums and you can't sort it out and you're trying to deal with the walk back to the car. I don't care if it's go out, let the dog out, do one drill and put it and pat the dog, good dog, good dog, And it's positive, positive conclusion, building a bond and relationship with your dog through training. I don't care if it's one minute and one drill. You've got to end on a good note and, and start building momentum forwards again. Um, yeah. And basically what I was just saying, don't be too hard on it. Give the dog, give a young dog every opportunity to get it right. And then, and if getting it right is a, is a two-second stop drill where you don't even step back, then try to make the next one three, and the one after that four, and then the one after that five seconds, where you take half a step, you just lean back, and lean back in, you know what I mean? And 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 it's getting to a positive conclusion, you're actually giving the dog a good dog, and release, and the dog's actually popping up off that stop, stoked and running forward with its tongue hanging out, and you can say good dog again as it's moving, you're doing well, and then when next time you ask it to sit, that's when the dog starts going, Oh, he wants me to sit so he can pat me and it wants to sit down and now it's looking at you because it's waiting for the pat and then it's waiting for the release and now you've got eye contact and everything, you know what I mean? Um, that's my answer to that. Jared, hi Paul, we're really getting out there now hunting, finally our GSP is at a point that I feel confident taking him on expedition trips that I do over here dude I'm so looking forward to seeing some trip. I'm so looking forward to posting I want it for you but man a, a big a, a blueprint dog with a deer or a moose or a massive elk or something be so epic uh we're really getting out there now hunting. Finally, our GSP is at the point that I feel confident taking on expeditions. Uh, Jared's in the States, people, for people that are wondering. Uh, he's yet to score his first deer, bear, or moose. <laughs> he's two years old and definitely still has a bit of that GSP puppy energy at times, but is steady. I'm finding that his pace is a bit quicker than it looks like print was while hunting in the woods. On a trail, even in the woods, he stays nice and close within a tight range, but off track, especially through dense woods, he gets this trot on and often tries to range out 15, 20 metres or so. 
He slows right down when tracking or winding though, always looking back to keep me in sight, even when further away. When not on a strong, strong lead, that he's working slowly on a strong lead, I think he's meaning like on a strong scent. He's saying, so, so he, he tends to, he slows down when he's tracking or winding. So when he's not on a, when he's not on a strong lead of tracking or winding something, when not on a strong lead, that he's working slowly. I'm constantly working on slowing him down and trying to keep him close. I've noticed though that he appears to work better and have the time to work out scent at range. And if close, I think he feels pressure and will just push on randomly because he senses me behind him. Yep, that's a big thing. Um, yeah, some dogs don't like being right in front of you, you know, and we, I, I sort of, we, we talked about that a lot earlier on the blueprint. How important it was to build your dog's confidence and want them to be close, and we sort of patting them on the bum as they're facing away and getting them very comfortable, real close. It's a very unnatural thing for most dogs to want to be standing close in front of you and facing away. Go and um, <laughs> get your mate to stand there and back up to him so you're like so he's looking at the back of your head from close and see how comfortable the two of you are it's the same thing um but you can 100% do it with a dog and and we do quite a bit of that early on um and the blue well actually right through the blueprint um Jared's saying I know you mentioned giving more range to work in part 11 is 15 to 20 metres too much? Uh, short answer there is no, it's not. Will I be setting him up for getting even further out of eyesight if I don't pull him in? Yes, you could be. Or is it a case-by-case -case thing at this point? It kind of is a case-by-case -case thing, but then Jerry goes on to say, there's a but, and I'll get to that in a second. Am I okay to let him out a bit while at the same time aiming for steady control and range appropriate for the situation based on his commands yes you are i seem to recall you mentioning at some point that some dogs just work better a bit further out but you always want to aim to keep them as close as possible to prevent the range from getting too far yeah so you're basically onto it with all that stuff jared i know you've been um you know quite a close follower of the blueprint and um, and I know you've got a good understanding of all this stuff. And um, so I'm going to answer this question sort of quite personalized to you in your situation. Um, again, it's difficult to say because I'm not actually there, like doing one on one, seeing exactly what, like if I was, I could, I'd know straight away, oh, you should do this or to try that. Um, but basically, you're onto it with everything that you're saying. So yeah, the dog can arguably and and really in practice to hunt better with a bit more. Uh, and it's it's all subjective too because it, it depends how you want your dog to hunt. Um, some people, again, I've, I've said this a lot before in the past. Um, I know top top hunters and even professional hunters and things, where one guy loves his dog at his feet and. When a dog starts moving around and ranging around too much, he's, it drives him up the wall and doesn't like it. 
and he's got his own reasons for that and they're all valid and then someone else who's also a very very good hunter says oh i can't stand my dog under my feet i want them out at 20 meters and my dog can hunt better out there and they can because they've got more room so they can hit ground scent easier and all that sort of stuff but then a dog can hunt and i know people argue this but a dog can hunt incredibly effectively and a lot of this has to do with the hunter reading the dog and the dog knowing that the hunter's reading it properly and all that sort of thing from right under your feet too because they can wind ground scent and and all of that and then if you're stalking deer the dog can't always win the deer and if you've got the dog ranging and casting and stuff to try to hit every bit of ground scent in your area then you've got this dog moving around when you could be in a slight sideburn and there could be a deer right there so the dog could have been should have been right under your feet there's all these freaking things and and you know if, if if you put this in front of every single person that's ever hunted over a deer dog or thinks they know the best way and all that one person will say you're full of shit the dog needs to be miles away and another guy some people will say you're full of shit the dog should be behind you you know so there's all these things uh but generally speaking the dog can hunt better a bit further out and and uh most dogs do and most dogs prefer to be a bit further out and and they're better off being further out too and and as long as your dog's steady you're actually better off with your dog a little bit further out in most cases um and I, again we talk about this in the blueprint i sort of break it down and explain it even show with footage of the dog hunting a bit further out and things um where you know there's one idea where um and, and I used to hunt a lot like this to fly because she was she, had, she was so good at using her eyes and her ears and her nose and everything. She was so freaking good that I was better off having her out front and hanging back a bit because if, if it was me coming over the hill right behind her every time, there was a higher chance of the deer seeing me before I saw the deer. And I'd spook them more. But fly was so good, I was better off hanging back 20 metres and she'd come up over the brow, tiny little sneaky dog, really good at using, and then she'd just bing, lock up. And because she was so small and quiet and sneaky, most things that saw her creep over the hill just sort of stood there looking anyway, or more often than not were completely oblivious. And once she'd locked up, then I could sneak up behind her, because I could see her locked up exactly where she's looking, I knew where the animal was, and I could sneak over and fire the shot. So there's that side of it too. It's not just about letting your dog hunt um, so it can range and smell better and all that sort of thing. Uh, and again, just a, a quick bloody uh, ramble, you can also have the dog right next to you and if you can read your dog properly and know when it's probably winding ground scent and things like that and you're even constantly thinking about the wind and knowing what your dog can and can't smell from where it is and you understand everything properly, you can do an incredibly good job of covering all the bases with your dog right next to you or right in front of you too. And that's something I might talk about a bit more in the future. But So there's all of this stuff the third main thing here so you got the dog maybe better off out in front there's a couple of reasons for that the dog can actually be really freaking good beside you but you have to understand a lot of stuff to get the best out of it there finally 
uh, okay, so let's assume that we want to give our dog a bit more space. That can quickly get sticky, you know, and, and the dog can start pushing its range a little bit more and a little bit more, and then uh, all of a sudden the dog can break, come over the brow of a hill, you're 20 metres away. Generally, the further away your dog is from you, the less control you have of it. A dog that's nice and close, when you go tss, if a hiss is your stop command, the dog's way more likely to stop when it's two metres away than it is when it's 20 metres away. Generally speaking, you know, a really well-trained dog will stop exactly the same at 20 metres as it will at two, but no doubt about it. As a dog starts getting out in front, they're like, oh shit, I'm getting a bit further out in front. I'm running the show here, I'm in charge. And it's that whole thing of who's in front is real dog language for who's in charge and they just get further out get more confident so there's the big risk there you know and 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 that's why the the blueprint the, the huge aim of the blueprint was to show people how to train a steady dog that only adds to the hunt you know and, and have a very low chance of people having big stuff ups there and and it does do that really well and and that's why i'm always leaning on you know, just keeping in particularly at the start because uh, if you do train with the blueprint and you follow it all to a T and your dog does stay very close 99.9 .9 times out of 100 if you want to let your dog start ranging a bit further out later on that's what they're going to want to do you know unless you've really overdone the pressure or overdone something or you've got a really unique dog or something's very i've heard of one guy talk about it his dog that just would only stay real close when he was trying to bird hunt and it wouldn't even range out i've only heard of that once out of hundreds of dogs um and i've heard thousands of times how do i keep my dog closer how do i slow it down my dog broke, my dog, you know, it's all steadiness, you know. So that's why I really lean on the side of caution with that, particularly early on. And uh, even if I have to sacrifice my dog's ability to be able to really, you know, range out that 30 metres to the side to hit that bit of ground sense so I can track from there or whatever, I'm willing to do that just to make sure I've got my dog in close and everything's rock solid and steady and and if there's a situation that I'm really struggling with that in, um, that's when I'd be uh, I'd, I'd really tend to just throw the long line on the dog and do that. Uh, and then if my dog was struggling with confidence or looking a bit edgy when it was real close, I would go out on my way to spend a good bit of time with the dog on the long line, no hunting, no scent, nothing, and just going out and having the dog just drag a, a light long line, I'd shorten it up a little bit, and uh, you don't have to shorten it up, but a, uh, a shorter long line tends to pull through the bush easier, but then again, I was using like a 10 meter long line with print the other day. Um, so there's no real excuses there. I would, if my dog was struggling, if it was uncomfortable with me being very close to it and I felt like that whole dynamic of the dog is pushing away, <clears throat> not because it wants, because it's range isn't set up, but it's not comfortable being right under my feet, I would 
really focus on that get my dog on a long line if it only happens in the bush I would go out in the bush and work with it there and I would spend some time no scent no gun nothing uh, getting my dog very comfortable real close with its back to me um, sheepdog trainers call it a face up um, they'll let sheepdog trainers hunterways uh, lose points for turning around and looking back and, and sheepdog trying they're meant to face up pushing sheep away uphill and they're meant to be facing the sheep which are, which are facing away from the handler and they're meant to start with their back to the handler and stay with their back to the handler and do their hunt away and uh, they do a lot of work with that right from a pup um, only ever pat their dog on the bum every time a pup comes running in for a pat they spin it around and pat it with the dog facing away and that's the dog's safe spot um, and, and you know it's in the blueprint I talk about that in the blueprint I did a lot of that with print and I still do it today you know and, and, and you can actually get a dog to the point where you know print if he's in front and I say good boy good boy he'll stop and he'll still look back. I don't. I like my dogs looking back, but I don't like them turning around and coming back. Um, so if I say "good boy" while he's in front, I say "print, good boy." Second he turns around, I'm ah no, and then I'll tell him to go again. And I'll say "print," and he'll stop and he'll think about turning around. But I just corrected him for that, so he won't. And he, so he's just stuck there. <laughs> he's not meant to go forward. He's not meant to turn around so he's just standing there and then I walk up behind him and give him a pat on the bum and I repeat that until now I basically say good boy just while he's in front of me and he knows oh the boss wants to give me a pat on the bum and I'm not meant to turn around and get a pat on I pat print on the head all the time but I've got that set up that dynamic set up where he knows when we're out in the bush and I practice it out in the bush I want him super comfortable close in front facing away you know so um yeah that's sort of that uh I, i'd do that man I, I, so jared i would tend to it's good to let your dog range out a little bit later on it really is 15 or 20 meters is good it's not too far i think in the blueprint we actually mentioned 30 an open bush when I can still see the dog. I don't want my dog really going out of sight. They can off and on momentarily, but I don't really want them going out of sight. I want to be able to see them the whole time. Um, 15 to 20 meters later on isn't too far. 15 to 20 meters even early, even at the start, isn't too far at all. As long as you 100% trust your dog, as long as that 15 to 20 meters isn't going to turn into 25, 30, and then all of a sudden turn into a break, the dog running and chasing I would tend to want to keep it a little bit closer early on and let the dog range up to that 15-20 meters later um, and even if it involves having the dog hunting on a long line and I'd work on that whole thing of keeping the dog close Cirrus I think I'm saying I'm just going to grab a water I'll be like a few seconds Oh, I'm borderline dyslexic, eh? Cyrus. 
So I think that's how I say your name. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm honestly am. I'm ridiculous with spelling and things. And reading. Um, which is quite ridiculous. Someone who's written books and stuff, but, you know. Um, Hi, Paul. Apologies if this has been covered elsewhere. <clears throat> On first hunt a couple of weeks ago, my one-year-old would let out quiet whines when we're getting close into deer. <clears throat> Everything else worked like a charm, except for swirling wind and tight bush. She still got me into a shootable deer that I managed to muff. I didn't want to make noise disapproving of the whining because I could tell deer were close. Do I just need to make the noise and spook the deer until he gets that whining as a no-go? Hasn't really whined before, so never had a chance to correct it. Mm. Uh, <laughs> I'm still laughing about that name. I think I, I said Cyrus. I was like, uh, Cyrus. I think. Uh, I'm sure people get a laugh out of that. Um... <clears throat> Yeah, you you really need to um, put a bit of pressure on that, and and you don't necessarily have to make noise that would stuff up the hunt to do it, but um, and you know this is a classic example of why I like a dog close early on hunting, um, you know, and this sort of comes out in the blueprint too, in part eleven and twelve, particularly I think it's eleven. I talk about um, putting pressure on the dog for making noise. Prince hasn't never. Prince does have a whine, but he's never really whined on deer. But uh, he hasn't got a supernatural stalk. So every now and again, he's just stoked to be in the bush, and he's just he, he just um, clambers over something and makes a ton of noise, you know. And and that exact thing is in the blueprint. There's actually footage of Prince doing it, and I'm correcting him. Um, and that's one one reason why I like having the dog close early on, even if they are steady enough to be further out, is so I can keep on top of all that stuff and tidy it up and put pressure on the dog without stuff on the hunt. Without because if the dog's twenty meters away and they're doing something, I, while I'm still ironing out kinks early on, then I do have to make noise, quite a bit of noise to get them. But if they're right under my feet, um, I can just say and even give them a touch, you know. Um, him a prod on the bum and say, hey, cut that out, but of a command, you know, um, sort of yell quietly if you will. So instead of going, print, I'm going, print, yeah. And with the with the body language and the tone, he, he'll, he'll feel that pressure, you know. So um, that's my advice there, man. You, you'll have to put pressure on it. Um, it's quite a, it's a can be a relatively common mistake, and it can be a mistake that leads people, you know, down the wrong road is, um, uh, you know, you're saying everything went well here and you've just had this one little niggly thing pop up of your dog uh, whining and you didn't want to make noise, which is completely understandable to negatively affect the hunt. But when something does pop up like that, you really do need to address it. Like I said, in my experience, I've generally been able to tidy things like that up without affecting the hunt and that's why I like the dog close particularly early on um, 
and a lot of people get themselves in a whole bunch of trouble um, by trying not to address issues in order to shoot the deer um, and that's that's part of that whole old school train of thought of um, you just train them with time on the hill and uh, you're going to lose a few before you get a few but you'll get the ones you lost back and that sort of thing that's basically taking an untrained dog hunting and then yelling at it for doing the wrong stuff while it's trying to take you in on its first few deer and that comes with its its own whole massive set of problems which generally leads to taking years and years to getting the dog to be really really good when if you train it properly and it can carry out its first hunt without you having to put too much pressure on it they can be really really good quite young and really quickly you know but um you're going to have to do something, man. You have to put pressure on it. And um, you want to nip it in the bud too. Pretty quick. Um, yeah. And it might be something that gets worse. Or it might be something that sorts itself out. Once you shoot a couple of deer, the dog works out how it all works. Hopefully it just sort of is, is quite a passing thing for you, you know. <coughs> Cirrus. <laughs> Uh, um, good day this is Mark Marquin Marquin I think good day I have a dog with a lot of drive keen airs he is a Kelpie 15 months old is there any way I can put a cap on it and slow him down he's sometimes too keen and overshoots the scent any tips <clears throat> uh, my number one tip would be watch the deer dog training blueprint and do everything that's in that um, yeah that's really what the whole blueprint is about is, is slowing it down and it's a, quite a good point that, that it's a, and that answer's a bit tongue in cheek obviously but that is one of those questions that's like hi I'm a, I, I've got a, a a bit of a joke thing that I throw out there every now and again. Every now and again I get a message like, I don't know, if someone doesn't know about the blueprint or they've just found big game indicating dogs and they're finding like a, what well, says on our <clears throat> profile on Instagram that we're helping people to train big game indicating dogs and then it says, with the deer dog training blueprint and it's got a link to it. But I think some people just read that, hi, we're big game indicating dogs, we help people to train big game indicating dogs and they send us a message hi just after some tips on how to train a dog and it's like well have you got 15 hours and something to watch this on because this is the only way I know how to do it um, and it's quite a long story you know um, that you can take in little bite sized bit by bit you know you can watch bloody 10 minutes a day if you want and just chip your way through it um and the training's 10 or 15 minutes a day for most of it. Um, but yeah, I mean, so Mark, when you're saying <clears throat> you've got a keen Kelpie that's way too fast and you need to slow it down, it's all the training that's in the blueprint, you know, and it, it, right from part one, we get the dog on the long line and um, start to get some basic communication going with the dog and 
get it used to the idea of having a long line on and paying attention to us when we get the beginnings of our stop, go and turn, uh, which is, you know, there's obviously plenty of little steps in that. That's all broken down in part one of the Dog Training Blueprint. Uh, part two, we start walking the dog more, taking it out into bigger spaces um, with the long line on. And again, we're just introducing the ideas of range. Um, we really start off just getting the, the pup walking in front, tidying, tidying that whole thing up and getting the dog walking a relatively clean line in front. That's really one of the, the first main goals. You don't just put the long line on and straight away start doing turns and sits and stop goes and all that. You, you need to get a, a flow on first. You need something to work with. So we get the dog walking in front. Then we start setting up our range and our, our turns with the long line is the, the big thing that starts getting that in place. And we go to non-communicative turns and non-communicative stops. Um, and there's a lot to that. You don't just start yanking on the long line and turning around and stopping and starting and, <laughs> you know, and again, and, and I could start describing it all here step by step, but it'd be kind of ridiculous because it's, then that's the whole idea of the blueprint is that um, we filmed everything I did the first time I did it with print, you know, and, and Mark, when if you're in the, the inner circle writing this question, you've got the blueprint, you know, so you can jump in and watch all this stuff. And, and, that, and it really is, man, it's that whole process um of getting it all set up and then we start doing it around distraction and we're there's these so these uh i think it's more now because it but there's a hundred and i think there's 124 individual steps 124 solid identifiable steps in the blueprint so part one we do start with this then we start with that and then we start you know you do this next you do and then you do that now okay you're in part two your dog's you know, you're on part two now. You've got all that part. Here's step 16, 124 of them. And and, and inside those steps, there's steps inside those steps. So it's, here's, and they're not actually numbered, but there's a, but it's all broken down now. And there's 124 videos. I think there's, again, I think there's more now. And each video, each video in the blueprint, the blueprint now is based on the new platform. It's basically 100, over 124 separate videos. And each one of those videos is has a title at the start, and it says like this is the non-communicative turns as an example, and it starts off, and I explain what a non-communicative turn is, why we do it, why it works, how your dog sees it, the whole, explain the whole freaking thing, and then we go from that, and the next shot is me doing non-communicative turns for the first time with my dog. And explaining it as I do it, and then explaining it again afterwards, you know. And there's 124 of those. Uh, and inside each step, there's okay. The first part of the knot is doing this: get the dog walking in front. And so there's, there's thousands of little things. And that's what good dog training is. It's lots of really simple, easy steps that anyone can do but all done correctly all done in the right order without doing anything outside of that that's going to ruin what you're doing inside of that system 
rambling. But yeah, it's a little bit of a funny question because it's a little bit of one of those, hi, how do I train a deer dog? And it's like, it's in the blueprint. Um, and I don't, and I'm not going to sit here and start making the blueprint again. It's like, it's there. Um, and again, I don't want to be dismissive or come across like a dick in these, but that's just what it is, you know, and, and the blueprint is there and it's good. And we've put a crap load of work into it and money and time and all that for you guys you know um so yeah it's how do you slow your 15 month old kelpie down you follow you just start at the start man and 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 just yeah that's the best way even with an older dog just start right at the start um and start chipping your way through if it's your dog's 15 months old it's it's already going to know how to do some of those things so it's like kenneling my dog's already flying in the kennel all sweet put the long line on it and then if the first thing I start telling you with the long line on it is make your dog, oh, my dog already knows how to sit. Well, sweet. What's the next part? Go walking. Okay. Does your dog stay close? No, it doesn't. Okay, sweet. Now you've got something to work on. And you just go with an older dog, you go through and just start skipping uh, the things your dog already has and you just work on the things your dog doesn't have. Um, last question. Gary. Hi Paul, I'm four weeks into the blueprint. I find the sessions I do in the evening where Sheba's in brackets. Sheba is a German Wahir pointer pup, 12 weeks old. He says, I find the sessions I do in the evenings are Sheba's best, whereas the morning and midday, she's full of beans and a bit hyper. I do five or six drills and then let her off the long line and she loves that that's, you don't do that. <laughs> Nowhere in the blueprint did I say do five or six drills, now let your dog off the long line and let it run around and do what, you, do what it wants. Really bad idea. Because what that's doing is it's, well, you can do it if you want, but all you're doing, and then you, you, you really have to hunt your dog on a long line then, which isn't necessarily the end of the world. And then if you hunt your dog on a long line a lot and it learns that and you do it correctly and the dog learns that doing it that way, that way that it's doing on the long line is what gets the result, then at some stage you're probably going to be able to take the long line off and the dog will just keep doing the same thing to get the same result because that's what it wants to do. Because dogs love shooting deer, they really do. Unless you stuff something up. But if you do your training drill I mean, the goal of the, of the blueprint is to train a dog to do all of that stuff off a long line, and it does that, and that's what I did with print, and that's what it's helped a lot of people to do. But if you have any trouble with it, throwing the long line back on is a really good, easy way of, of, of just sorting heaps of stuff out. And, and a lot of people that have a lot of problems in the bush, it could all be completely eliminated if they were just willing to stick with that long line for a while. And... And, and, and just do that but um, I completely forgot what, what I was talking about in this question oh but if you train your dog and you do your drills and then you take the long line off and go where you go and the dog gets to run around without the long line on you're literally training the dog that it doesn't have to listen to you with the long line on Real big one. Really is. Um, 
She's nipping a bit and very into scent. I try and keep her focused but don't want to be always using command of disapproval. I feel that as she gets older she will become more focused. <laughs> no. <laughs> as she gets older that running around doing what she wants nipping and not focusing practice makes permanent practice doesn't make perfect people say practice makes perfect it doesn't shitty practice makes shitty permanent perfect practice makes perfect permanent it's true it's really really true um, try getting into bow hunting or archery and talk to anyone that didn't have any coaching or, or anyone helping them out at the start and use poor form with the bow for years and could never work it out and then finally started getting coaching or got some help and found out how you're actually supposed to shoot a bow and then start to try and do it properly and your body just keeps trying to do it your old way. Your, your shitty practice made shitty permanent. And what you've actually got to do is learn how to do it properly. It's a real freaking pain in the ass because you don't know how to do it yet. And you just have to be really disciplined and try really hard and really focus and always trying to do it right every time and slowly doing it right gets easier and easier until you're just naturally, until you're just doing it right and that's imprinted. Perfect practice makes perfect permanent. So you're saying, um, again, it's a little bit of a, a funny question, that just the way it's laid out. He's saying, I find the session I do in the evening are the dog's best. Morning and midday aren't good. That doesn't really make any sense. I'd say there's something affecting that. Something with the routine, like in the morning she's have, having a run, but in the evening she's been in the kennel, or there's something affecting it. Dogs are always trained best, uh, and, and that's why I'm, we're so uh, into kenneling in the blueprint. And even when we're talking about freedom sessions, and then I mentioned before the term self-gratification. If a dog's tearing around doing whatever it wants for three hours, running around, it's inside, your partner's like, good puppy, while well, it's doing all this wrong stuff. Or you're saying good dog, while well, it's doing all this wrong stuff. And then all of a sudden you want to, or your flatmates are, or your, someone's come over, or your kids are playing with it. And then you come along and put a long line on it and write, Dear Dog, now we're doing the blueprint. And try to give it a stop command. It's just going to, it's still in that mode that it was in, that it's been in all morning. But if you kennel it properly, and then if you put that pup in a kennel for two hours, and you come out and put a long line on and ask it to sit and start going through the motions of a proper stop drill. That's the most interesting thing the dog's done in the last two hours, and it'll be very engaged. And then you give it that training, let it go to the bathroom, and it'll take it for a big long session. And just don't do tons of drills, just take it for a big long walk. 
and put it back in its kennel with a feed and warm and comfy and, that, and then come back out and do another one it'll be and, and now training and listening is the best part of its day and it's very very engaged and now it's looking at you but again if the dog's doing all this other fun stuff the whole time and then you so that and, and it might it may not be but I've trained a lot of dogs and I've never had a dog that is good shit in the morning shit at lunchtime good in the afternoon I've had lots of dogs that are shit for a reason and then good at another time for a reason I've never had one that's um, usually if anything it's the opposite if the weather's real hot dogs can be real cruisy and easy during the day and as it cools down they, they want to run around like idiots but um, so a bit of a rant on that uh, I try to keep her focused she's nipping a bit so he's saying no good morning evening uh, uh, morning and lunch time the evening is better I do five or six drills and then I let her off the long line and she loves to sniff the ground and explore she's she's nipping a bit and very into scent <laughs> So I'm imagining a dog that's off the long line, running around. Somehow she's nipping you and very into scent. So she's just scenting and frantic and nipping and jumping and all that sort of stuff. I try to keep her focused, but I don't want to be always using the command of disapproval. So I'm just trying to make this up because this, the way you've laid this out is, is pretty difficult to try and work out what's going on, but I'm just guessing. So I'm guessing now you've done five or six drills, you let the dog off, it's running around, sniffing everything, nipping you. You try to keep her are you trying to keep her focused while she's off the long line? With a three month old pup? It's, it's not gonna work. And then you say, I I feel as she gets older she will become more focused or do you think I am not being firm enough on her and again what I just said uh, she definitely will and dogs definitely get easier to work with as they get older hundred thousand percent but uh, what you need to avoid and, and what the and what the blueprint's really geared towards because we're really after that control and steadiness and focus from the dog and relationship and all that. We're, we're keeping everything perfect and structured so as the dog gets older, it's just getting better and better and better and better and better. Whereas, and, and as your dog gets uh, start, you've already got you've already been working on it. So, so with the stop draw, I've said some people saying it's quite a common thing that I, I, my dog stops and I stand on the long line, but it won't sit. And I say just keep calm. It takes time. Just keep calm. Keep it positive. Keep it light, and just keep stepping in and pressing your pup's bum down. You're not doing anything bad as long as you're not overdoing it, putting too much pressure on the pup or you're getting pissed off yourself 
you're not doing anything negative. You're, just, you're working with your pup. You're, you're, it's all constructive stuff. You're imprinting patterns. And when that pup gets old enough and it calms down and it clicks back, you've got it so rock solid. And you've never done, you've got no bad habits. You're not trying to fix stuff. It's just like, holy shit, or oh, my dog gets it now. You know? And and that's what the whole blueprint system, that's what the Palmico dog, that's what how I train. And, and that's how, and I got this from sheepdog training, bird dog training, service dog training, you know, really solid training systems of training dogs. <clears throat> so... Uh, that's so arguable. I feel like as she gets older, she'll become more focused. It's really easy to argue and say, yeah, again, as dogs mature, they they do become more focused and they have longer attention spans and they learn quicker. But if there's all this crazy shit happening for the next four or five months and your dog's been jumping and that's what I call exposing weakness. And that's why we leave the dog on the, the have the pup on the long line right from the start, because if you have the pup on the long line right from the start, and we talk, it's all in the blueprint. All you guys have got it. When you say sit, you can stand on the long line so the dog can't move anymore after you've said sit. When you say come here you can gently pull the dog in. So every time the dog hears print come, if he doesn't start moving towards me, I can gently pull him in. He can't get it wrong. Every time you have the dog off the long line and say print come, and he doesn't come, is teaching him that he doesn't have to come when I call him. You're literally training your dog that it doesn't have to listen to you. You're saying, you might as well be telling to a person, don't listen to me, don't listen. You're training it, that exposing weakness. It's a principle, it's in the blueprint, it's all explained. And it's really, really important. And and that that's what happens. If you have a dog off the long line, and, and it's running around doing all this stuff, and you're trying to get it to stay focused on you, and you're saying you don't want to use the command disapproval too much, people would, you know, there's these systems that are 100% positive and they don't want to put pressure on the dog and they use treats the whole time. Um, you know, now, so, so, and there's another principle, training for success. If you have a pup off a long line that doesn't know it, it's 12, uh, 12 weeks old, it doesn't know its commands yet and it's running around and you're saying you're trying to get it to focus on you so I'm thinking you're probably saying stuff to it what are you saying? here pup, come here, sit, stop I don't know what you're doing but you're giving commands It can't. it's a 12 week old pup it's not going to listen it doesn't even know what you're talking about yet so you've set it up to fail and you're exposing weakness. Well, do you get what that exposing weakness means? 
because we do have a lot of weakness when it comes to a dog especially as they get older I can say print come he can run print can run 50 kilometers an hour for a long time <laughs> there's nothing I can if I haven't got a long line on there's nothing I can do to get him to come to me that's a lot of weakness and you're so exposing weakness in dog training is just showing your dog all the things that they have over over you and again another principle uh reason and rationalization dogs don't have much reason and rational rationalization powers they can't reason and rationalize like us i can say to you uh I could put a rope around your neck and say, Gary, come and pull you in. You're a human that can reason and you go, I don't have to listen to you. And you pull the long rope straight off your head and tell me to get fucked. But dogs don't think like that. They don't they literally don't reason like that. So when I say print come and I pull them in with a long line, and I say print come and I do that over and over, and I train print for a year with a long line on every single time I say something he listens he's not thinking and I take the long line off at the end he's not thinking oh sweet long line's flying off I don't have to listen to him it, they don't their thought doesn't go that far it literally doesn't you know and, and Prince never broken and chased something he doesn't even know how he can run and he's run heaps and he can see the other thing running and he knows he can run but until I've actually shown him how to do it or let him do it and because he never has he doesn't even it's not even in there dogs don't reason and rationalize like people and when you really think about what reasoning and rationalizing is and like look it up look up the definition think about it and then while you're working with your dog think about how you're constantly reasoning and rationalizing and that your dog isn't it's it's quite a uh, it's a strange sort of a concept and it's one that's quite difficult for us to wrap our heads around as humans uh and it's one that uh, good dog trainers really understand. It's just natural. You're just aware of it the whole time. It's sunk in and you've got it. And and once you do, just how to relate to a dog and handle it and all your training and everything uh, comes a lot easier. You know, and that's why it's one of the principles. There's a whole segment in it on the in the blueprint i'm actually going to remake these principles so they're separate they're in the palmico dog guide like that all separate and i'm actually going to remake them again so completely re-record them and explain them again because i sort of get slowly get better and better at explaining these things um and i'm gonna we're going to record them again and put them in the blueprint too so people can actually sit down and listen to the principles on their own separately because at the moment they're just sort of dispersed throughout the blueprint but that reason and rationalization one's huge and um 
yeah, it's just huge. That's huge. Um, so anyway, sort of <clears throat> bit of a ramble there, but yeah, um, Gary, find sessions and make sure you on top of all your other stuff. Don't take the long line off like that. Watch part one, two, and three of the blueprint again. Really hook into it. Uh, she will get older as she gets older, but she won't necessarily calm down as she gets older. And every dog's different. That's the other thing too. Every dog's different. It's like that that thing with hunting. Um, some dogs calm down as they get older. Some pups, if she's nipping and running around and doing these things at the moment most dogs hit their peak about eight or nine months old and 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 the way you raise them and train them can have such a massive impact on how they turn out a dog doesn't just have and i don't think people do either but it, you know this is all arguable dogs definitely have a personality that they are what they are and it's not and and it's not necessarily going to change. There's always going to be certain aspects of, you know, the individual personalities that are always there and that's them. But if you take one dog, if you could clone the same dog and have two copies of the same dog and one dog you put in a household, no rules, nothing, high energy kids, a partner that was, you know, some one of the... Um, people's like puppy puppy and climb and jump on the couch and get all over top of me and do whatever you want and I'll feed you whatever you want all the time you can sleep wherever you want and that high pitch sort of high excitement good girl good boy the whole time that and then a kid playing the whole time and another owner that um, I don't know wants to take it out and let it run and chase and do all that stuff the whole time flat out if, if you took one of those clones and gave it to them and you gave the other one to me and I did what I did with print and the blueprint with that dog, two completely different dogs. Two completely different dogs. One would just be full on tearing around, jumping up like just a freaking tornado and the other one would be whatever it... Well, look at um, print, for example, was a very quiet, you know standoffish dog and he was very easy to train Miko was the opposite Miko was the dog that I told you not to pick for the blueprint and I did that on purpose she was leader of the pack she was that first pup running up to you climbing up your legs and she's been very different to train than print but she's coming up uh, coming up two years old now and because I've had a really good system of being consistent I haven't exposed a ton of, ton of weakness. Uh, I've just stuck to the program and kept on it and haven't made loads of massive mistakes. As she's getting older and as she's calming, she's really calming down into the training. You know, and... and but she, she still does have that bounciness there, but it's all harnessed. And she's actually starting to really quiet down and become a, a, a really nice dog to have around really respectful when she approaches you she's sort of all calm and quiet and um but just that that's my last ramble is that whole thing and when gary's saying um 
I feel as she gets older, she'll become more focused. That can go either ways, man. And and dogs do have their individual things, but the part you play in it is bigger than anything. And and it's really up to you. Um. Um. I'll throw a quote out from the blueprint. Um, this is, oh, I'm going to have a blank on the name now. Oh, God, I was thinking about this quote the other day and I couldn't remember the guy's name. He's one of my favourite dog trainers too, so it's ridiculous. Um, but it's in the blueprint with the guy's name. And it's just that thing that you're... The quote was, discipline is a matter of self-discipline. And what I took that to mean, that's all the quote was. Discipline is a matter of self-discipline. It was like in the middle of a sentence, in the middle of a paragraph, in the middle of a book. Discipline is a matter of self-discipline. And what I took that to mean with dog training is your dog's discipline is a direct result of your discipline and training it. And that's really all it is. It really is. Good. So you have to be disciplined. If you're following the blueprint, you have to watch it properly. If you can't remember it, go watch it again. Watch If you're halfway through part two, watch part two again and make sure you're not missing anything. And then before you move on to part three, watch part two again, then watch part three twice. Like How far do you want to take it? How much do you want to get into it? Obviously, there's a level somewhere where if you don't get into it enough, it's not going to work. You can, I think you can overdo it too. Some people get too far into it and overthink it. And, and if you're training too hard, that can cause conflict as well. But there is a certain point where you have to get into it to a certain depth and hook into it, be committed to it, understand it, and then be disciplined in implementing it. Um really really important having said that too it's not actually that hard either you know um, but that's all relative so that's me end of the q and I, I think I, I said this last time too um, I've had a lot going on but I've said this last time too that next time we won't leave it as long doing the next Q&A but a lot has happened and um, I might make an update video sort of explaining what's been going on but um, a lot's been going on pretty much all good stuff but it's been pretty intense pretty full on um, and I'm sorry this Q&A took so long to get out there but um, I sort of wanted to make it good when I did do it and I want to be able to do them more regularly and make them as good every time I do them um, so that's it. If you want to find out more about Big Game Indicating Dogs and the Deer Dog Training Blueprint, uh, biggameindicatingdogs.com and Big Game Indicating Dogs on Facebook, Instagram and YouTube. And massive thanks to everyone that signed up to the Blueprint ever. And massive thanks to our followers. Massive thanks to people that gave to the podcast fun. We've got heaps of just amazing followers out there and supporters. And I know these Q&As end up a bit of a rant, me ranting and saying look guys do this and that. but we've got loads of people doing really well with the blueprint and these questions are really the the you know the, the sticking points people that are they're having a few troubles so that's, that's what it's all about ironing out the kinks um 
but yeah, loads of awesome followers, loads of people doing really, really well. And um, I guess that's about it. Thanks. I'll see you in the next one.